Welcome to the Impact Learning Visionaries podcast, where we celebrate the unsung heroes of the learning and development industry. As always, we'll be bringing some laughter and a bit of fun along the way, but more importantly, you'll get some incredible insights, key lessons, and unique perspectives on everything related and possibly unrelated to training and development. Let's get this show on the road. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Impact Learning Visionaries podcast. And today I have with me Karen Hidden, who is um, uh, my kind of co-pilot on my other uh, other podcast which is um, called uh, virtual reality or immersive technology in business um, so please go check it out but for today um, what I thought we would do is just queue up this new podcast that we're launching called impact learning visionaries and Karen's role today is um, she is going to essentially be turning the tables on me where I'm normally the one asking the question uh, Karen is going to be in the in the driving seat today, but I thought I'd just before I hand over to her is just talk a little bit about what this concept of impact learning is all about, and it it stems from from this this the core challenge today, which which I believe we we all we all love to learn. Um, my career, and I'm, I'm sure that very few people are different here, is been driven by this this desire to to be to master um, and become a master of our area of expertise, whatever that might be, and anything from a software developer to a human resources manager to a CEO, um, we we follow a career path that is very much cemented in a learning and development process and. Mm. The the stat I came across about a year ago has has sat with me, um, and it it really galvanised this whole idea of impact learning, and, and that is that everybody is doing training, everybody is learning, yet we we from time to time step back, put our head above above water because it's it's a pretty chaotic world we live in. We're all super busy. And the, the stat in question was, was a stat that came out of a Gartner survey a few years ago. And that stat was that in every, every organization today, seven out of 10 people in that organization believe that they lack the mastery of skills to do their job effectively. And that's despite them wanting to learn. Um, and and fast forward a couple of years, and, and a, a study done by PwC um, uh, about a year and a half ago, is is that the pace of change in the world today means that you know it, it, that's just exacerbated. You know, where now we're seeing in that in that PwC report, seventy seven percent of people are saying that they they just don't don't have the relevant skills needed to do their jobs. So. The question is why? Why are people struggling with this concept? And the, the, the one of the big challenges, um, and one of the things that I've I've really thought deeply about is this this concept of we all love learning, we all want to improve, we all want to achieve mastery. But yet, when it comes to the actual process of learning, that that almost, for want of a better word, education is, I I kind of see that's that's where we fall down. 
Mm. Um, we, we have these aspirational desires to want to improve ourselves. And then we take a look, for instance, at statistics from e-learning and see that on average, only five to 15% of people end up completing a course that they've started. And somewhere along the way, something has gone wrong. And I think that's, that's where the heart of this challenge lies in, mm. in almost the way that we, we learn and how, how that is essentially um, fundamentally not working for us at the moment. So there's, there are ways that we know we, we all like to learn and that's learning by doing. And there's so many different models out there that that essentially accentuate that most of the learning actually happens on the job. So for those of you in the learning industry, you would probably have come across the 70, 20, 10 model. There's a lot of companies that are focusing on mentorship, which is a way to galvanize and reinforce um, the more traditional styles of learning that, that are being done in those organizations that essentially if we had to be very blunt and very honest, aren't working. And there's a lot of scaffolding that gets put in place to try and alleviate the symptoms of, of that lack of effective training. So the big challenge is if we know that the best way to learn is experientially, then why aren't we seeing more experiential learning in the marketplace today? Mm. And I think therein lies the challenge because experiential learning, although it's the best way to learn, is often the hardest type of learning to do. And there's a, a myriad of different reasons for that. So I'll hand over to Cara now, who will effectively grill me. I mean, ask me really <laughs> wonderful questions. Wields my power over you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think, um, two things you mentioned the 70 20 10 so maybe you want to dive a little bit into that so kind of what what that actually means for some of the listeners and then i would like you to also just talk about why so we know experiential learning is so important but why is it so difficult to do it properly in today's world all right perfect so the i'm not i'm by no means an expert so you've kind of put me a little bit on the spot with the 70 20 10 model but essentially, it's it's a, a ratio that we apply um, to essentially, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I will probably get this wrong. It's been a while since I've looked at exactly what this model is. But 10% is where you would do your traditional kind of, of rote learning. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then twenty, the 20% is where I always get a little bit fuzzy. So the 20%, I believe, is where you, you kind of of almost apply that learning to a degree. And then the 70% is, is where you are essentially learning on the job. So yes. Corin, correct me. I know I got that. I butchered that horribly. So maybe you actually want to come in and rescue me and actually explain what 70 <laughs> no. actually is. No, you, you, you were like, like about 90% spot on. So we could call it the 90, okay. 70, 20, 10. So, yeah, so 10% so, so here is through kind of our formal, traditional uh, learning. Um, kind of 20% is in 
when when we learn through others, we, when we're sitting around talking about it, so that might also be um, a teacher explaining to class, whereas the 10 is kind of reading a text. And then, yeah, 100%, um, the 70% is what people learn through experiences. So that learning by doing. So it might be, um, you know, you, you, you and I have spoken about it before, where you learn how to ride a bike, where you're actually learning to ride that bike or changing a, a car tire. You know, you're the one who's physically having to do that. Um, but but why is that experiential learning so difficult to do in, in a corporate space? You know, you, may, you mentioned the mentorship, which is also part of it. But if, if we know that that's the best way to learn and we've been doing it since we were little, why is it so difficult? Why are we not doing it in, in organizations now? Well, Karen, I'm, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> yes, I teed that up quite yeah. nicely. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I think there's two reasons why experiential learning isn't more prevalent. Um, the first is that generally when we learn through experience, the the kind of answer lies in, in, in the actual phrase experiential learning. You need someone with experience to teach the person who doesn't have experience. Mm. I mean, you can imagine if you go back to that riding a bike, if I was learning how to ride a bike from someone who didn't know how to ride a bike, it would be probably entertaining to watch, but pretty disastrous and you know what what you really um why that works is that you have a parent who is obviously um, knows how to ride a bicycle and is really showing the child through a series of of trial and error how to build and grow that muscle memory that is going to essentially allow them to ride a bike yeah. and you know, the, the reality is, is um, as we get to more complex things, you know, like riding a bike is a very easy example because generally most parents know how to ride a bike and they can impart that knowledge on a very kind of simple one-to-one -one or depending on how many kids you have, one-to-ten ratio. Um, the same would be true probably for swimming. You know, is, yeah. is a lot of parents will be able to teach their kids to swim. Um, but when we get to more complex things where, where the level of complexity is much higher, there's fewer experts in the industry. And then it really becomes a challenge of how people get access to those experts, mm. especially when they're geographically dispersed or you know those experts come at an incredibly expensive fee. And the challenge with that is, is even in those organizations that are able to bring those experts in and do the training, that comes with with two key challenges is either that is an external consultant who basically requires you to um, forego some other kind of organ to be able to pay for the experience or more often is the case you end up with someone inside the organization who is the expert who is a value generating person in that organization having to step away from from critical work or revenue generating work to take time mm. out to go and uh, explain and, and teach the people. And sometimes what happens is that you get people who are good teachers and people who are really bad teachers. And often the, the, the kind of more subtle challenge is that experts often are the worst teachers um, because they, they lack that beginner mindset um, <laughs> and they they try and teach people through, you know, kind of um, 
pardon the phrase, blunt force trauma um, <laughs> by you know, kind of getting them to understand all of the complexity all at once. It's overwhelming. And the person comes out the other side with like kind of a, a nervous tick and a deer in the headlights. Yeah. Look. If they come out at all. But yeah, yes. I agree. So the other thing is that, okay, so, so, so that's, that then, you know, kind of of talks about the second part, which is the scalability. Mm. And I think the, the reason that we, the school system was designed in the first place was to deal with scale, you know, is, is every parent can't homeschool their children. There's, there's a kind of, of, um, economy that we live in, which means that we, we ultimately came up with these, these experts called teachers and, and their job is to, is to train kids. But the reality is to be able to train kids experientially is impossible in that scenario, because if you've got a classroom of 20 kids, it's just not practical or feasible to have that, that real one-on-one, -on -one, um, interaction. Yeah. Um, and in the corporate world, you know, that, that just takes, it, it reaches the next stage of evolution, which is you know, how do we solve radical scale and, and what the education industry and the learning and development industry has done to solve that is, is to create digital learning or e-learning. And that's even less scalable. I mean, even less experiential, but, but, yeah. but radically scalable. So we sit with, with almost this continuum of from experiential to non-experiential learning and and it's a diametrically opposed scale um, to to scalability where the more scale you want to introduce the less experiential the learning becomes yeah. and and i think that's that's the challenge um, with why we don't see more experiential learning today yeah i, I couldn't agree more with you and so not that you would would tell all of our guests this, but you have got a wealth of experience in a range of organizations um, and equally around learning and development. Where where do you feel you have seen or, you know, where you feel that you've made an impact in your career around this experiential learning or learning and development? So there's, there's a, a few areas, I think, um, is... One is, I think there's, there's been some, some experiences, which I think have come agonizingly close to experiential learning. Um, mm -hmm. and they've done that in, in clever ways by, by blending e-learning with, with a cohort based approach where mm. you kind of end up learning from other people on the cohort. And a, and a great example of that, of that one is, is Seth Godin's, um, alt MBA. Yes. where you're not subjected to a whole bunch of videos and and kind of road learning instead what you know you you what happens there is you're thrown into the deep end and you're actually learning from your cohort which is a small Mothers. group of people so you have that ability to learn through their experiences mm. but I mean, it, you were actually on that drive still, i was yeah yeah but it, it's still not saying... experiential learning it's yeah. it's it's still for me a, a case of um that that almost the 10 or 20 of that 70 20 10 because you, you still have to go back into your own organization afterwards and apply some of these learnings and that still comes with the that that curve of that confidence curve as, as i kind of generally refer to it is is whenever you have to start something new you you feel like you know you feel like either an imposter or you feel anxious because you haven't had the experience of doing it a few times 
but what if, if we then move on from there I guess one of the most interesting um, traditional courses I've done is, is a negotiation course where it was a small group of people um, who were all learning about negotiation skills through a almost a um, an acting methodology where the where the person teaching it would behave in different ways at different times of their training to almost kind of of trick your brain into behaving in that similar style so it okay. was like kind of a mirroring experiences is this person was looking at at zero sum negotiation versus a partnership based negotiation and when we're getting to the zero sum stuff he was behaving you know very in a very cold manner and and i remember you know just just being able to try experiments in that learning and and learning with a with a cohort where at least you came out the other side thinking i've tried a little bit of everything and i know mm -hmm. what works for me and what doesn't work for me but i think hands down the best ex example of of um experiential learning i've seen is is through virtual reality experiences and why why i say that is um yes the uh you know nothing really can beat learning from the wise old sage master i mean i you know i've i've done martial arts for many years in my life and i would i would never in liken the or say that the experience would be better if i learned from a textbook or a youtube video sure. one of the the like, you know, most valuable part is, is having that Sifu who is there training you, you know, every week and, and correcting, correcting your form and, and telling you when you're doing things in an inefficient yeah. way. So, so I don't believe that there's any learning can, that can beat that one-on-one -on -one, um, experience. Mm -hmm. But we live in a three-dimensional world and traditional learning is all done in two dimensions. And what makes the riding the bike experience, the swimming experience, the martial arts experience different for me is that we are learning in a three-dimensional way. Yeah. And what I think virtual reality does is, and the experiences that I've, I've seen is that we can essentially mirror a three-dimensional world in virtual reality and using the controllers, which is essentially an extension of your hands we can we can essentially achieve the same type of movements that we would in the real world around us which builds that muscle memory and it's mm. nothing new i mean airline pilots have been doing this for decades yeah you know, just think about it you know the the, <clears throat> the first time an airline pilot actually does their job they you know they have 300 lives sitting behind them in the plane so you don't get much higher stakes than that. <laughs> and they, you know, and, and, and I, I remember a, a, a lovely story with a, a friend of mine who was traveling with her father and they went through a heavy um, bout of um, turbulence. Turbulence. And she was a nervous flyer. And um, she was freaking out, as you would if you're a nervous flyer in turbulence. And I remember she told me her father very gently leaned over to her too and said, at times like this, I have to believe the pilot wants to live as much as I do. <laughs> so, so you know, the the reality there is is you know we're not 
doing anything new with virtual reality. Yeah. We, we're essentially mirroring an industry who has had to get it right because the stakes are so high. Are so high, yeah. And, yeah. And, um, and in these experiences, you know, everything from hard skills, like learning how to repair an engine on a car or change a braking, a braking system on a semi-truck or changing the fuel and doing maintenance on an aeroplane, through to soft skills training, you know, being able to deal with conflict resolution management, being able to um, communicate effectively, being able to know what to say when, um, to to things that we really struggle to teach, mm. like sales. Well, even skills. to to your point earlier, the negotiations, um, and mm. also the sales skills. Nobody can really learn that unless you're having to go through it. Um, yeah. But it also sounds yeah, and like... I think I think the the other side to to why I like virtual reality is because it's very accessible now. So yeah. I just need to have a headset, and I can I can essentially learn as many times as I want to. And um, I guess that's also where yeah. the sorry I, I just think that that's also where it comes into the whole scale, and then also being able to make those mistakes as many times as possible is that exactly. a fair comment to make? Yeah, so I mean, we, we come almost full circle back to to that first that first statistic of seven out of ten mm. people lacking the mastery of skills to do their job. Mastery is achieved not by by rote learning, and and in many cases not even through through application of learning. Mastery is achieved by doing it multiple times until you achieve mastery. Mm. So if I go back to the martial arts example, you know, it's it's I can sit in a class and I can learn the right way to do a, a form or the right way to punch. But the chances are, after the first week, I'll be pretty lousy at it. I know all the yeah. theory. I've applied it. I've practiced it. But if I were then faced with a real-life situation with someone who actually knew how to do the same type of system or a different system, I would probably end up on my back. Yeah. But by by that reinforced learning doing it week after week after week consistently we achieve mastery and for me that's that's where virtual reality um, becomes a really really exceptional tool because in many ways we we have access to that wise sage yeah. in a virtual reality experience we have access to that three-dimensional world that we can safely go into as many times as we want to to be able to do whatever we're, we're applying from a learning perspective again and again and again. And it's easy because if I was using the engine example, if I wanted to learn how to essentially um, fix a braking system um, that, you know, and, and diagnose something, how would, how would I do that? You know, I would, I would realistically have to wait till a customer brought in a car with that yeah. exact issue and then say, oh, I recognize that issue. I'm not confident yet, but I'm going to try and fix it. And then the, the, the senior mechanic behind me would go, oh, just get out the way. I'm going to show you yeah. how to do it. You know? Whereas now in virtual reality, I can, I can start from any configuration automatically that I want to learn in. So I can have that, that situation repeated 10, 15, 100 times if I want to with, without fear of making mistakes, yeah. getting it wrong having that senior mechanic kind of scooch me out the way to say, let me just do it myself. Mm. I build up that confidence. I build up that mastery. Yeah. And, and in many times people who have learned through VR, um, 
we'll see the the kind of comparative of someone who's learned you know through even applied learning versus someone who's learned through vr when you take a look at at them post that learning experience in the real world doing what they've learned you'll take a look at the the first time they they're both doing that same task you'll look at the one in vr and you'll say sure it's almost like that guy's done it before yeah that's really powerful so i mean it sounds like what you're saying is that it's become exceptional and accessible in terms of vr um and, and its reach uh, Tommy, Jason, so when when it comes to um, learning and development, what is your aspirational goal with regards to this industry and this area? So I want to I want to essentially help companies achieve value mm. from learning and development. I think that a lot of times we we think we're doing the right things in learning and development, but but essentially, we're not measuring us effective. We're not measuring the effectiveness. Um, yeah. And and I think that's true in my personal case. Many times that I've done some form of learning and development in my past, I, you know, I had a myriad of different different results and different outcomes. But never once was that learning and development given in such a way that I was measured on a key outcome of the business that I was in. So no one, no one ever validated that the learning I went on in any way made me more effective, um, helped me realize that I had mastered something and showed me how I was contributing to the overall success mm. of the business. And, and we see lots of statistics which talk about, you know, um, companies with, with employees who have more mastery are 20% on average more profitable than others. But but that's, again, it's too amorphous a statistic. And I mm. think that in, you know, there, there's this idea or this philosophy in medicine called the, the end of one, which is that, you know, we, we treat people a little bit like cattle in medicine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, at best, we might get to different kind of, of um, uh, cultural groups. Um, but but generally, when I go to a doctor, they don't often tend to look at my unique profile and, and, and ask me my history and my genetics and my kind of, you know, personal situation. They'll look at me, they'll look at what the general response is to whatever that symptom is, and then they will give me the answer to that. Yeah. And I think that we have the information and we have the data to to do better in medicine and to do better in learning and development. Yeah. So my goal is to, to help bring this concept of impact learning is being able to say, how do we change the, the way that we speak about learning from instead of being so-and-so needs to go on X course to being able to say, so-and-so needs to achieve the following outcome in their business, drive the following yeah. metric. And the best way to do that is by doing the following experiential process yeah. and that's not even a course i'm talking about it's being able to actually have something that's specifically tailored to personalized of of that that person and and even even like i, I love the word personalized because yes there's a degree of personalization but but the personalization is not is not necessarily the defining factor i mean there there are very specific ways to do things you know organizations are defined on processes and procedures 
the industry is defined on on norms and and kind of of applications of process so it's not like we i'm advocating that everybody has to learn something unique and different but i'm saying we're all in different like places in our career mm. and it's almost like a, we each have our own recipe that we need to follow and we need to be able to understand firstly what the organize like the company's requirement is and then work backwards from there to say well what is my specific need to be able to meet that requirement mm. and what is my specific recipe and this is why things like just-in-time learning um, are are going to be the wave of the future and we're seeing it in ai at the moment is is you know people are starting to realize that that ai is the is the kind of of new ultimate automation um, this augmented intelligence instead of artificial intelligence of being able yeah. to to have even more information than we had in the internet age through an internet browser, we've suddenly got even more information and more more augmented information. And then the, the missing piece to me is just how we learn in a way that is experiential and mm. that mirrors the real world. And we know, for instance, that for one example, virtual virtual reality tricks our brains and makes us think that the virtual worlds that we're in mirror the real worlds and mm -hmm. it's a really really effective way of learning but virtual reality is not the only way to learn and it shouldn't be yes. seen as a, as a silver bullet and everything should now be done in, in immersive technologies and virtual reality i think there's a space for blended learning yeah. so yeah i think in big hairy audacious goal would be to help people just change the way that they think about learning be able to embrace new technologies mm. be adaptive in utilizing these new technologies i think it was in 1913 um, thomas edison said you know motion pictures were going to change education forever and in 10 years there would be no classrooms well that went yeah. really well who cares what he said um yeah. so so jason from your extreme range of experience, what is that one little grain of advice that you would want to give other leaders who want to make an impact in this space through impact learning and development? What is that kind of one, one little bit that you think they all need to know? I think it's, it's a tough question because there's, there's many little bits, but I think that, you know, from, from this perspective, it would be, how how can we essentially make learning bring real value to to our businesses and to yeah. our careers? Um, how do we how do we take like learning and development and education away from this kind of general um, space into into something that we actually love? Um, and I think that you know it, it, the, the frustrating thing is there's such a disconnect between our desire to want to learn, our desire to want to be achieve mastery, and the way we get there. Yeah. And I think that if we can if we can fix that, that the system will almost correct itself. Yeah, it's bringing back that love for learning. It's almost tragic mm -hmm. that it isn't happening. But there is a way to do it, as, as you've explained. And to be more specifically, the, 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 the love of doing it. Not, I yeah. think we all have the intrinsic, the intrinsic desire to actually want to improve, want to be better. But it's that the missing piece for me is, is how we get from point A to point B. Yeah, and, it's taking that yeah. step. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And I've got one final question before I hand over to you to do to do the closing um, and your final sing and dance. But what is um, a book that you're reading or a podcast that you're listening to that you think everybody else should listen to or read? Um, I'm going to actually give you the most probably defining book I've ever read on the subject of organizational learning strategy um, and the one that I probably referenced the most often and and I've actually just read it again recently even though it's an old book it's still like an absolute gem and that is Peter Senger's The Fifth Discipline um, and the reason I love that book so much is because it's it understands that the world we live in and the organizations we work in are complex mm. and where I think a lot of people get a little bit intimidated by that complexity. If you understand how to navigate complexity, you can really be effective in these complex environments. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it goes from that kind of underlying systems thinking approach into really, really incredible ways to understand how to be effective in those types of environments, you know, how to create a shared vision and how to take people along for that journey. And then finishes off with something that I've been a huge fan of for my entire life, which is this concept of personal mastery and being a lifelong learner and realizing that if any, if there's one universal truth besides death and taxes at the moment, it's that everything is going to change. And, you know, we need to adapt to be able to be effective in mm. a world of constant change. And we don't have to be scared. We, we shouldn't be scared. We should be brave enough. To embrace that change. Well, unless, of course, a singularity happens and all those basically doomsayers are right <laughs> and you end up basically becoming back to the overlords. So actually, oh, my will. best advice was was be nice to AI right now because one day they could be our evil overlords. <laughs> when you're asking Siri for a song, just say please. I think that's yes. what I always tend to do. She answers back a lot nicer. <laughs> Jason, it's been such a treat getting to interview you on, on the podcast. Um, I'm going to hand back to you to do our closing. But maybe what we could do when, when we uh, post the podcast is put a link to that book that you spoke about. I think that would be really helpful to all of the listeners. Perfect. Thank you, Karen. It's actually been quite relieving being actually interviewed <laughs> by someone else for a change. Um, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so thank you everyone for watching or listening. Um, hopefully you've now got a, a, a better understanding of what this concept of impact learning is. And going forward, we're going to be speaking to people who are making a big difference in the learning and development industry, understanding their stories, because um, I'm fascinated about people's stories mm -hmm. and about their journeys. And I think that you know, there's so much, so much value um, hidden inside the journeys that people have gone through in their lives and being able to kind of almost pull out those individual nuggets of wisdom and be able mm. to share them with everybody, I think is an incredible gift. So I can't Absolutely. wait for us to get started and to share um, our, our journeys of all the people who are going to be spending time with us. So thank you very much for listening. And stay tuned. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Impact Learning Visionaries. If you found it interesting or helpful, please subscribe by clicking on the button down below so you don't miss our next one. 
Also, be sure to check out our Reality Bytes blog for more information on how technology is aiding in learning development. Links are all in the description below. Go check it out. Thanks a lot. Bye.